0: Uh, this morning, if you, if you want to turn to your scriptures, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 28. Uh, it is page 250, if you're going to use the Pew Bible, as I am this morning. Uh, chapter 27, 28, and 29 all hang together. It's all one story. 27 and 29 focuses specifically on David... And his interaction with the Philistines. And David and the Philistines are going to be going to war against Saul, which is what leads to Saul's story here in chapter 28. So we're going to look at chapter 28 this week and engage Saul. Then next week we'll take 27 and 29 together and talk about David and how he interacts with, with all of that. And so today um, we're talking, again, First Samuel chapter 8, Saul and the witch of Endor. Um, your Bibles most likely, unless you're using King James Version, will say medium, and, and that, is, that is a good, probably the best translation. It is, it is not a witch like somebody who's like casting spells and riding brooms and all the kind of things we see uh, maybe in movies or whatnot, um, but is speaking specifically about uh, encountering or, or calling forth the dead, encountering and calling forth the dead. So medium works really well. But I grew up on the King James Version, and I just think witch of Endor sounds cooler, The medium of Endor. So we're going witch of Endor, and you can write me a nasty email later on. But know what I mean by that, talking about somebody who is engaged with um, trying to contact uh, the dead. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. I I say that nearly about every Bible story I have to say, but uh, I love this story because it is so bizarre. And it just informs us how far removed from the biblical worldview we are, because we are in this room, even those of you who are Christians, are probably functionally materialists. What we see is all there is. And the Bible depicts a different world, a different universe altogether, and this story really brings that out. So let's, let's dive into it. Um, we have to begin with this. Samuel is dead. And you have to understand that. Uh, without Samuel being dead, nothing more can be told of the story. So it's Samuel is dead. What's Samuel? Dead. Right. See, so when we're telling stories, you've got to pretend you're a, you're a 10 or 11-year-old uh, Jewish boy or girl around the campfire, and I'm, I'm Grandpa who's telling you the story, Okay. So he he is dead. Now Samuel has also done something else. He has been very faithful to God in making sure that the scriptures are fulfilled. And in the scriptures it was written, commanded by God in four different places, that what they do with witches and mediums and necromancers and people who are engaged in spiritual practices that are trying to seek out and make contact with the unseen world. Those people are to be cast out. They are not to be anywhere in Israel. And Samuel saw that it was done. But don't forget what Samuel? Dead. dead. Very good. Samuel is dead. Now, Samuel was, as you remember, for those of you who have been here for the series, uh, he, he is this spiritual confidant of all of Israel, really. He's, he's the Billy Graham of the ancient world. He's the Joel Osteen of the ancient world, whatever. He's the guy that, that everyone is looking to, and he, and he is especially connected to Saul. Saul goes to him when there's problems. Well, Saul is facing a very serious problem right now. Here's our map of our world, right? We're over here. Israel is roughly over here. If we zoom in, whoop, too too much zoom. If we zoom in, this is the kingdom that Saul has kind of eked out. And the region that we're going to talk about today is this region right here. This region right here. Now the Philistines are down here. And when you hear Philistine, what do you I want you to think of Vikings? You got a picture of Vikings, fierce beards and axes, and they're they're ready. That's kind of what they're they're seafaring folk. So these are fearsome warrior Vikings, these Philistines. And these Philistines have left their territory. So they're right here, and they have marched. They're, they're just destroying everything, heading north. And if we zoom in just a little bit closer, they have stopped here at Shunem. The Philistines have stopped at Shunem. Now we read in the scripture that Saul brings his men up from the south, and he camps up here at Mount Gilboa, overlooking Shunem, Endor, and this whole region here. And so Saul has this perfect view Of looking down and seeing this Philistine, this Viking horde just chomping at the bit to take Israel over. So Saul is looking down and saw the scriptures say he is afraid. He is trembling. He is so afraid. Now what do you do when you're trembling and so afraid? What should you do? hide. We got all kinds of hides. Not very spiritual folks here today. Those were all answers from children, by the way. Perhaps we should look to this. Perhaps, thank you, Peggy, pray. My goodness, guys, you're in church. This is, that's a softball. Like, this is the way it's going to go, right? You should pray, and that's what Saul does. Saul gets on his knees, as you can see. Oh, no. There he is. Saul gets on his knees, and he prays. He seeks God. God, what should I do about these Philistines? What should I do about them? I mean, these guys are mighty. They're fierce. They're, they mean business. What should I do? And God doesn't answer. He doesn't answer by the Urim. He doesn't answer through dreams. He doesn't answer through the prophets. He doesn't answer. Perhaps here we could have a moment of sympathy with Saul when things are really bad, when times are really tough, when you don't know what to do and God doesn't answer. God doesn't answer, Saul. Now, if you have been here through the series, you might remember that Saul has not been particularly faithful, that he has had some real issues obeying God in fact he tends to and he's not a terrible guy like he's not he's not 100% bad no he's 100% bad he's 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 about 50% faithful and about 50% unfaithful maybe that's not even, maybe that's not even fair maybe he's like 80 20 but he has some real issues with faithfulness and so you are of course not surprised to hear that sam or that that god has not answered answered saul so what is Saul going to do? What do I do about the Philistines? God, what do I do about the Philistines? God, what do I do about the Philistines? God, what do I do about the Philistines? God? I don't know. There there are no answer. So he comes up with a solution. He calls his men to him. There they are going to him. And he says, "Find for me a witch." Now you're 10-year-old Jewish boys and girls, right? What do you do when I hear, when I say that? That was really pathetic. Some, some people had it over here. Saul says to his men, find for me a witch. Better, much better. Still not, not ideal, but better. We'll, we'll get there. And why are we shocked by this? We're shocked by this because not only it, it, it is, is it something that isn't really readily available, but it is it is abhorrent. It is abhorrent to think that you would go and seek Something that God has told you have nothing at all to do with it. And so his men, though, I mean, they're, they're men on the inside, and they know, and they say there's a witch at Endor, there's a witch at Endor. And so Saul, knowing that he can 't just like show up, you know like, "Hey, I need you to do something for me, He puts on a disguise. No one will recognize me now. But you can't just show up with a disguise and in your royal robes, right? And so he has to cover that up as well. So Saul has his disguise on. He's covered up his royal robes. Nobody will recognize this guy. And he travels down. Remember, Mount Goboa is, is, is here and it's looking down. And you've got him here and you've got Endor off. And he, he sneaks down the mountain and he goes and he visits He visits, there we go. He's visiting Shunem, or Endor. He's visiting Endor, but he can't do it by day, right? That's not how you, I mean, you've seen the movies. You don't go see witches during the day. You go at? Right. So, he shows up at the witch's house at night. And the witch appears. And he says to the witch, I want you to call up someone for me. And the witch says, I feel like you haven't gotten the memo. If I do this for you, I can be put to death. I'm not, we, we don't do this. This isn't, this isn't allowed anymore. Um, we've been driven out. And Saul says something quite interesting. He says in verse 10, As the Lord lives... So the, remember, remember with me that, that, that Lord, anytime you see Lord all in caps, it is the name of God. And, and because we're, we're so fearful of taking the name of God in vain, we don't usually put it there. You just put the Lord all in caps. So he invokes the actual name of God. He says, by God's name or in God's name, I promise you no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now, isn't that a funny thing to say? I swear by God. Now, we use this all the time. I hear people use it, and we use it flippantly. We don't mean anything by it. It's just words to us. But to Saul and to the biblical worldview, in fact, it is a very serious thing to say, I swear to God. Because it means that you are saying, I am telling the truth, and God will will hold me accountable if it is not true, or if I don't follow through, and it's a very serious thing. So Saul says, God will hold me accountable if I hold you accountable for doing what God told us not to do. And then, it's funny. It's, it's funny because it's something that's so real today. Uh, the text doesn't really mean that. I know the Bible says that I shouldn't do this, but I feel in my heart that God wants me to do it, so it's going to be okay. If we think that there's something new happening in the world today, that wasn't happening in the world 10, 20, 50, 1,000 years ago. We are mistaken. Same thing is alive and at work. And we ought to be aware of that and have our eyes open to it. The witch says, well, who would you like for me to call forth? And he says, Samuel. Now, this should have, like, not just, no, that, that's a big deal. Like, what, you're calling forth Samuel. Everybody knows who Samuel is. Like, this is, but, but uh, you know, but she doesn't pick up on it right away. She's like, okay, so she calls forth Samuel. we don't, this is what, one of the things that drives me nuts about the Bible, there's all these wonderful details that I wish were there, but aren't there. Like, how do you do that? So this is what I think. Rise from your grave. This is what she does. She calls Saul, Samuel forth from the ground. And as he comes up, The witch screams. She's terrified because she recognizes Samuel, and by recognizing Samuel, it finally dawns on her who she's dealing with. (gasps) It's Saul. (gasps) Thank you. Right. And she's afraid. She's terrified. She's quaking. She's now terrified because she knows that what happens, not only do I have Saul, who is the one that she sees as being the one who's driven the witches and the warlocks and all these people who are dealing with spiritual things out, but now she sees Samuel coming up as well, and she is terrified, and Saul says to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just tell me what you see. What do you see? And she says, I see a God rising from the earth. And what does he look like, Saul says. She says, he's got a magnificent beard. And he says, of course, I know that. Let's just, he's an old man wrapped in a white robe. And then, and here we don't, does, does Saul see him? Does Saul not see him? We don't, but Samuel speaks and says, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul says, I'm in great distress. Because the Philistines have come against me and I've gone to God and God has not answered me. Verse 16. The most deflating answer in the history of all answers. Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you? And here you might want to underline your Bible because this is a terrifying statement. For you have become uh, for he, uh, read, the uh, Samuel said to the Lord, why then do you uh, ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? What a terrifying statement that is. The enemy of God. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. You remember that Samuel was the one who delivered God's message to Saul that God would rip the kingdom from Saul. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. That's, that's chilling. That's chilling. So what does Saul do in the face of this? He falls face down in the, in the dirt, and, and uh, Samuel, we presume, vanishes. He falls down face down, and he is inconsolable, he's terrified, he is upset, he's, I, you know, you've just heard this word from, from the voice of beyond the grave that says, you're God's enemy and you will be with me very soon. No one can console Saul for a whole day and a whole night. He, he lays there, not willing to move. The witch comes to him and offers him a morsel of bread and says, "says eat. Eat, but Saul is inconsolable; he, he won 't eat he 'll have nothing to do with it whatsoever till his men show and show up and they, they get him up and take him to the witch 's house and the witch uh, prepares for them a quite fine meal. Who knew witches are, are great cooks as well and this is, this is a fatted calf, and she makes it really nice and they go on their way, and we will conclude some of this story over the next several weeks as we talk about what happens to Saul with the Philistines and what David is doing with the Philistines as well. But we'll bring this story kind of to the conclusion there. What a wonderful story. Isn't it just a fantastic story? Man, if nothing else, do not walk away from the Bible and say that it's boring, right? Don't say that. Say I don't agree with it, say I don't believe it, say I'm not going to live by it, fine, 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 those are all choices, but do not say it's boring, because that is a great story. And of course, the most uh, interesting piece uh, out of the gate is that witch, man, like, I got so many questions, don't you have a lot of questions? Like, how did that happen, and why did that happen, and did she have superpowers, or was it Samuel's willingness, and was it really a ghost altogether? In fact, that becomes almost the, the first question, was it really, a, what was it? that they experienced there. And I've heard this answer, and so I'll give you this answer. This answer that I've heard often from various sources is that no, it was not really a ghost. It was a demonic force, some sort of demonic being. Why is that? Well, because Samuel rose from where? And where are souls normally? In heaven, right? Right? And so following that presupposition, if it's true, the soul couldn't possibly have been actually Samuel's because it would have come down, come down, not come up. And furthermore, we know that demons often pretend to be angels of light. They pretend to have good words, right? They pretend to be good. And so we can surmise faithfully that this was not truly a spirit, but it was a demonic encounter. That all hangs together really well, except for one problem. You know what that problem is? Thank you. The Bible. Because what does the Bible say the witch did? Called forth Samuel, right? And this is something that you'll experience in our church that you might not experience at every other church, and that is that we have a fierce fidelity to grammatical historical hermeneutics, which sounds really fancy. Impress all of your friends with it. It doesn't mean anything fancy at all. It just means how the word functions in the text. How does the word function in the text? And the witch saw Samuel. So she saw Samuel. And that's worse. Because before we had a neat, tidy answer, didn't we? Just a neat, tidy answer. Oh, okay, well that all makes sense. Here we go. Moving on. My world isn't shaken at all. But when did in reading the scriptures or when in your own life did you anticipate that God was going to give you neat, tidy answers? Because you must not be reading the same Bible I'm reading. You must not be living the same life that I'm living. Neat, tidy answers are hard to come by, and here we don't have very many. So did the witch do it? How did she do it? Was it her power? Was it so all of these questions that I have that are still rolling around in my mind, and you know my answer to it? I have no idea. No idea at all. What I frequently find as I read the Bible is that the Bible has very little interest in my questions. And is much more interested in trying to tell me where I should be looking. So if we read the text and the Bible doesn't have the answer to that question, perhaps we're asking the wrong question. In fact, uh, there are several texts, and I know this is a lot of words in one spot. There are four texts in the law. So. Uh, If you remember with me, the Old Testament begins with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. And those are the most important books in terms of the Old Testament that deliver to the people what it looks like to be formed by God, to be God's people. And four times it says, have nothing to do with spiritual practices that look to tamper with an unseen world. And if you do, you will be cut off from your people. And if they practice them, they are to be put to death. Why? It is because, and we have this nice little text here in Isaiah, where you should inquire of these these things, these people who mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Your, Your eyes are looking at something else, which is why these sorts of things are things that God's people are not supposed to be involved with and what's so fascinating about this text is as i said earlier i think that many of us are functionally materialists even those of us who are christians because when we think about the world and the universe in which we live in we still act as though this is all there is and the bible acts as though this is not all there is It would have been really easy for God to have had them right into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and any of these other places, especially Isaiah. These things are simply not real. Don't engage in them. How easy is that? Instead, we have laws that say, do not tamper with these things, with the assumption that by tampering with these things, not only are we led astray, but because they are real things. And so it leads me to conclude that, that the Bible and the worldview of the Bible is so much larger than our materialistic worldview that we encounter in our day-to-day lives, the people that are out there as a result of the enlightenment, which is a long thing that I won't dive into. But, but what does the Bible say? And often those of us who are maybe more conservative, more literal in the way that we take the Scriptures, we think of them as only two groups, demons, angels, God. So three groups. But if you think about all of the names and beings that are mentioned in Scripture, the Scriptures imagine, declare, I should put it that way, declare a world or a universe that is chock full, teeming with life. There are angels. Who do a function of messengering from God to other people? There are archangels who do something seems completely different, although sometimes there is the angel of the Lord who is completely different and does different things than the other angels. There is the cherubim, there is the seraphim, there is the host of heaven. The army. host just means large, immense army. There is the army of heaven, there is Satan. There is demons. There are unclean spirits. There are all of these things out there. And the Bible doesn't collapse them together, though we might. And so what does this give us? This gives us an image of a world that is chock full, as I said, of things that are seen and unseen. Unseen things that we don't necessarily interact with all the time, though at times we might. And seen things which we, as seen things, interact with all of the time. And the Bible seems to want us to have uh, three things, at least in this story, clearly in mind. First, these things are real. Second, these things are dangerous and not to be touched. And third, that's not the point of the story at all. Because again, the Bible is not asking the questions that we are asking. Frequently, we're asking the wrong questions. And we could get all caught up in that, but miss the point. And the point is allegiance. The point is allegiance. We use this word faith frequently. Faith. Faith, faith. You're saved by faith. And by faith, and not, not all of you sort of pro- pro-Christians out there today, but I think commonly in the modern parlance in the modern world as you're encountering people and they use the word faith, we use the word faith in thinking of two things. Thinking, that is what I believe, I have faith that you will, I have faith that God will, I have faith in God. These all have the sort of noetic, like between I think that there is a God, I believe that there is a God, I believe in you and that you will accomplish this thing, it has to do with our Our thought life or feelings. I feel like God is near. I feel like God is close. And that burdens in me in such a way that I have this thing called a faith or faith experience. And that leads me to follow God. Now these things are both true. I'm not saying they're not true. They're very much a part of what it is to have faith. But you'll notice that in the story here with Saul is belief Saul's problem. No, he believes in God. He sought God first. Didn't we remember this few weeks back when we were talking about David? Look how great David is. David seeks God first. Saul sought God first, just like David sought God first. I see the Philistines. I'm afraid, God. I don't know what to do. He does the right thing. I believe in you, God. I know that you can answer me. I know you can guide me. I know you can lead me. What should I do about these Philistines? What should I do about these Philistines? What should I do about these Philistines? Belief, faith, thinking is not his problem. Feeling is not his problem, though that may or may not be a part of his life. That certainly isn't the issue, unless you want to say being afraid that a Philistine is going to cut your head off, is a, like that in, in a way would be maybe part of the problem. But feelings are not the issue here. What is the issue here? He has not allowed the thinking, feeling part to lead to the doing. He is not performing faith in any way. And I like the word allegiance a lot because it gets at the idea that I have put my will to something. And that something now commands me it lays out rules for me. It lays out laws for me. It lays out directions for me. And now I have given all of myself to this thing, to which I will now live according to its strictures, according to its, its worldview, according to its rubric. I am now a part of this thing, this people, this whatever. And we are going to live and die by this allegiance. I like that a lot. Performing that faith, making that faith real. And that is... Saul's issue and that is the point of this story I love all the other things about it but don't miss the heart of it the heart of it is right there and so I think there are three things that we should take from this three things to take from this story I encourage you to write these down. Think about them. Uh, maybe go back and read. I encourage you to go back and read the story this week and read it verbatim as God's word lays it out and lay these things against them. Think about that. I think that there is persistent sin in Saul's life. We've seen this. It isn't Saul's first time. It is his persistent sin I find this in my own life. There's, you know, a big chunk of my life that is oriented toward God in ways that are really helpful and good, but there is a track of land, there is a territory, there is an area that I have not given over that is rocky. We all there, you with me? Yeah. There's persistent sin. And this is a terrifying reality. This is a terrifying truth. This is why we come to Scripture again and again. This is why we come to church again. This is why we go to Bible studies. This is why we read books about God. Because we are seeking always to, 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 to take those pieces of our lives and to devote them completely, that we might be a people that is completely loyal to God in our whole life, in our whole being, thinking, feeling doing, because persistent sin will lead you to become a terrifying thing, an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Persistent sin. Instead of asking, what should I do about the Philistines? What should I do about the Philistines? What should I do about the Philistines? Perhaps Saul was asking the wrong question. Maybe we do that in our lives. Maybe you ask the question, why God are you letting this happen? Why God are you letting this happen? Why God are you letting this happen? Instead of asking the right question, which is, where have I gone wrong? Where have I gone wrong? Because it's always easier to direct, isn't it? God, people, but it's hard to look at ourselves and say, where did I go wrong? Persistent sin is an issue In Saul's life. And that I think should be led. uh, Assuming that you agree with that. And find that maybe even applying that to your own life. I think what we would apply next is patient repentance. Patient repentance. What do I mean by that? I mean that often we think that lightning will strike us and we will suddenly become holy. And let's say today you go home real fired up and you're like, I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna give him all of my allegiance. I'm gonna give him everything. Thinking, feeling, doing, I'm gonna do it perfectly. And today you're perfect. You're a shining example. You're out there feeding the hungry. You're out there giving money to everybody. You're out there handing out tracts or something. I mean, you're perfect today, but Monday morning's gonna come and all those bad habits Come with it. Because becoming a Christian and following Christ and and living up to what we are singing, what we're preaching, what we're reading from the scriptures, what you're declaring back in your prayers, what you're agreeing to as people pray, what you're what you're saying you're doing as you take communion, it is a lifetime of cultivation. Just as we spend a lifetime cultivating persistent sin, so we have to spend a lifetime of cultivating a patient repentance. Don't expect to be perfect tomorrow, but rather be patient with God as he, as he pulls up the rocks, as he pulls up the weeds, and begins to plant good things in those areas. Be patient with God. And finally, I would suggest that you perform allegiance that you perform your faith. We might think of that famous passage from James where James says, there are people who are walking around saying, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. And James says, I have faith, but I also am living that faith out in a way that makes it tangible and thus real. That unseen becomes seen as I perform the faith that I say. And therefore, I declare to you, James says to the church, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. That we must perform that faith and that is Saul's real option. I like to, I, I, as I was reading this story and thinking about it, I was like, what would it have looked like to, for Saul to take a different path? What if Saul just got on his knees and repented and called the people together uh, to repent, to worship and they just said, you know what, we're going to let the Philistines roll over us. God's already given us into their hands. We're just gonna let them roll over us. But until until they do, we are gonna worship God. Might God have stepped in and done, might there be a different outcome to that story? There's, there's all kinds of things that faith opens up. If you, if you begin to believe in an unseen A reality that that lies open with a God who can do absolutely anything tomorrow, anything, any second of any day in any life, then then suddenly things open up that have never been possible before and you're no longer locked into a materialistic worldview where I have to make everything happen. Suddenly all kinds of things become open. When you say the most important thing to me every single day, every single moment, every relationship, every instance of my week in business or in family or in life or in school is this, that God receives my worship. Things can open up. New avenues become available. Crazy ideas become possible and God can do the impossible because of it. This story didn't have to end like this. It ended like this because Saul refused to perform allegiance. As we come to a conclusion this morning, I want to remind you of this wonderful text. And we say it all the time, and I've, I've, I can't even... Therefore, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is, every, that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only is that scandalous and subversive, but it makes you an odd person in the world today if you believe it and if you confess it. But it should make you the kind of person who is open and performing the allegiance that we see described right here, right now, living out that faith that has been given to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we come to a conclusion this morning, if any one of these three parts is an issue in your life, perhaps you have persistent sin and you need prayer, you need help, you need accountability. There is absolutely no shame. There is not a person here in this room who is perfect. Can I get a witness? Yes? So if you need help in prayer, please just say it. No one will judge you. We want to work with you. We want to walk with you. We want to do this together. You are not alone. If you need to repent and you need that prayer of forgiveness, we encourage you to come. Elders will be down front. We'll be down front to pray with you after service. If, if that's too, too difficult, grab somebody. Make this real. Perform your faith. Today tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Let's stand as we sing.